0: Welcome to a very special edition of Counterspin. As you can see, it's just me, Hannah Spira, uh, because in this episode, we are speaking things all to do with women, pregnancy, and what is going on in that field. And uh, it's kind of a woman's issue, I suppose. And so that's why Calvin's left me to it. Um, we just want to give a shout out to the YMADI team down there who had us uh, the other day. Great to see you guys and meet you and um, thank you for your hospitality. We also wanted to say a huge shout out to the New Brighton Health Store out there. You women are fantastic as well. So in this episode, we are carrying on with the theme. Uh, yes, what is this jab doing to women in pregnancy? Should medical experts be recommending it? And um, yeah, what are people... In the field, seeing, uh, you know, there's been an increase in miscarriages. We've spoken to Dr. James Thorpe from America. He's an OBGYN. He's, he's called out Doc, Dr. Nikki Turner. He's seriously concerned. And of course, um, you'll see... Dr John Campbell um, in the UK, he's got huge concerns, he's been talking about what's happening in Scotland, the investigation going on there with the increase in baby deaths. So in this episode, we're going to start with Dr Alison Goodwin, she is of course part of the New Zealand Doctors Speaking out with Science. She's going to take us through four important documents that you can all access, we will have them linked below. They are all um, publicly available. They are from official sources, so it's no um, you know crazy conspiracy theory rabbit holes that that information has come from. Because um, you need to see what is actually confusing doctors. Because on one hand they're saying you know they have a Hippocratic oath and basically they have to tell their patients uh, the real um, risks and benefits of a medicine, and on the other hand they are not to say anything that will be deemed. Uh, anti-vaccination or that will cause any vaccine hesitancy so Dr Alison Goodwin will take us through those documents and then we will be joined by a midwife Um, it is the first midwife that I have seen who wants to come out and speak publicly about what she's seeing post-vaccination in terms of this great baby die-off that uh, people are talking about around the world and she will take us through in detail what she's seeing uh, in terms of blood clots, um, abnormal placenta development, a huge increase in miscarriages. She normally sees, you know, one miscarriage every two months, so six a year. And she, in the last um, 12 months, she has seen, you know, about 37. So it is a massive, massive increase. And uh, you won't want to miss her speaking out because, you um, It's a serious issue. And unfortunately, she is feeling so scared. She has had to use a pseudonym. She is not using her real name for fear of losing her career that she so desperately loves. And she cares so much for the woman and the babies that she looks after. Um, but unfortunately she is being gagged as our midwives in this country and as are pretty much all medical experts and medical um, professionals who want to talk about what they're saying but if it goes against the mainstream narrative they are shut down so um, stay tuned for that and yeah you will be shocked I think uh, from what she has to tell us. <laughs> We are now joined by Dr. Alison Goodwin, and she is part of the New Zealand Doctors Speaking Out with Science here in New Zealand. She'll be very familiar to many of you, but just in case uh, you've never heard of her, um, I'm just going to give you a little bit of a bio. She's a um, doctor from Havelock North. She's a GP, and um, she has actually been described as a rebel GP um, after uh, quitting her practice and standing up and speaking out about what has been happening in the last two years with this COVID rollout. Um, and she was actually part of a group that successfully challenged a the, the JAB rollout, uh, a court case here in New Zealand last year. And um, it was actually challenging... Whether the rollout fitted within the provisional consent legislation in the Medicines Act and the judge at the the time, um, Judge Ellis, came back and said this was actually on the 17th of May 2021, it is a reasonable argument, uh, it is reasonably arguable that the decision to provisionally approve the vaccine for much wider use is problematic uh, and basically saying it went beyond the powers of Section 23 for the Medicines Act. And basically, the very next day, the government changed uh, the rules and um, there was no consequences basically and the rollout kept happening. So this is what's happening. Um, So Alison's going to give us a little bit of an update of where she is at professionally and then we're going to talk about um, some of the documents that um, doctors are bound by and we're going to look at some of those in regards to especially um, pregnant women and the rollout of this jab and, of course, this is in light of the Dr. James Thorpe interview that we did, where he actually called out Dr. Nikki Turner, who is one of the mainstream experts here advising the New Zealand government and the New Zealand established medical um, professions. So welcome to the show, Dr. Goodwin. Thanks, Hannah.
1: Nice to be here. So I just need to do uh, my disclaimer first, and I need to say that I do have a medical degree. I have worked as a doctor for um, over 25 years. Uh, but i don't currently have a practicing certificate so i can't um practice medicine and i wasn't intending this discussion to be the practice of medicine rather a commentary um, about four new zealand documents publicly available official new zealand documents just to give people uh, the new zealand
0: context sort of following on from your um discussions with dr thorpe excellent that we look forward to that and just just before we move on it would be great because there has been some real confusion, I think, here in New Zealand, uh, especially amongst some of the mainstream commentators. They don't seem to think that there's any censorship going on amongst the medical establishment. But, of course, Dr Thorpe, he has made it very clear that that is certainly happening in America and doctors are being silenced. So what's your experience and what's happening here in New Zealand with doctors?
1: Yes, doctors have been silenced. Um, so six, at least six of us have been suspended for various aspects of the COVID um, rollout, you know, for asking questions, for publicly commenting, uh, for prescribing ivermectin, for uh, writing the exemption certificates. Uh, and s- some people are challenging that in court. Some people have signed a voluntary undertaking saying, I won't speak publicly or I won't prescribe ivermectin in order to get their practising certificates back and, and be able to work. Um, uh, yeah, but some of us are challenging the decision to suspend our practicing certificates for speaking uh, in court. So that's where I'm at at the moment. I'm, well, uh, I mean, it's, it's all very messy. It's another whole long story, but <laughs> I, I don't yes. have a practicing certificate because I have chosen to speak and try and help patients understand uh, some of the issues around this
0: whole uh, pandemic. Yes. And basically, you're going to actually show us uh, what is expected in these documents of the medical establishment. But of course, um, when you've been trying to uphold your Hippocratic Oath and uphold your duties as a doctor um, to stand by your patients with their best interests at heart, um, you haven't been allowed to do this. So where would you like to start?
1: Well, so I've just got four documents that I just wanted to go through. So the first one uh, is the original Medical Council statement on informed consent, which discusses what discusses what doctors should uh, do with an informed consent discussion. The second one is the guidance statement that we were given. Uh, all doctors were sent in April 2021. The third document is the risk management plan from Pfizer to MedSafe, just outlining information um, about the vaccine. And the fourth document is the... Um, the data sheet, MedSAC data sheet, uh, and specifically the pregnancy part. So, yeah, I just wanted to go through those um, four documents quickly. So the first one um, here on the screen uh, is the Medical Council of New Zealand Informed Consent. So they have a number of statements that sort of uh, give information to doctors about how, how what sort of behaviour is expected of a doctor. Um, so this one was updated in June 2021, Informed Consent, helping patients make informed decisions about their care. So it's an eight page document, uh, I've been very happy to go along with this document and, and um, abide by it. So there's a couple of um, sections I just wanted to go through uh, to. So, so section 11 here, just to point out here that when a doctor's having an informed consent discussion with a patient, um, these are some of the things that should be discussed. Uh, so just down at this point here, have you or another colleague explained the different treatment options including the risks and benefits of each option and the option of not treating, adopting a wait and see what happens approach. So that's telling us we need to discuss risks as well as benefits. Uh, And this other section down here, if a proposed treatment is new, experimental or lacks scientific evidence, have you explained this to your patient? Now that's one of the things the Medical Council is taking me to task over because I pointed this out in a previous uh, video, but um, this treatment is new. I mean, the technology, messenger RNA technology, has been around for a long time, but it has not been injected into people uh, on the scale that we're seeing now. It's been used as a cancer treatment in unhealthy people before, not used for everybody, um, including every healthy person on the planet. So it's new. Is it experimental? Again, that's one of those things you can argue about. But the original 44,000 participant clinical trial is not due to finish until February next year. So... By my definition, that is experimental, but you could have a discussion about what your definition of experimental is. And does it lack scientific evidence? Well, as we get to the next document, we'll see that Pfizer states missing information. There is a lack of evidence. So I think all those three things should be part of an informed consent discussion with a patient. Uh, Then I want just to go down to point number 40. and that is when a patient is enrolled in an immunization or screening program. You have a special duty of care when enrolling patients into immunization or screening programs. Um, And then there's a bit more there, but it says that you need to discuss the risks and uncertainties. So again, that's telling us we discuss risks and uncertainties. So that documents on the medical council website, Um, you you can look at it and read it in more detail if you want to. So that's what we've traditionally had to abide by, is that um, statement on informed consent. But then in April 2021, uh, we got this document. Uh, So all doctors, all dentists got sent this guidance statement. And it's the same around the world. Uh, Australian doctors, American doctors, UK doctors, Canadian doctors, they're all getting a very similarly worded statement. Uh, And this one says down here you should be prepared to discuss evidence-based information about vaccination and its benefits to assist informed decision making. It doesn't say anything about discussing the risks, the uncertainties or the alternatives which would normally be part of an informed consent discussion. Um, And then further down here it says there is no place for anti-vaccination messages in professional health practice Uh, But it doesn't actually define what anti-vaccination means. And I've asked the medical council, what do you actually mean by that in the context of informed consent, where some people, the risks will outweigh the benefits, and for other people, it might be the other way around. But what does anti-vaccination actually mean? Uh, So I didn't get an answer to that. But there's a very clear directive to doctors there, do not say anything that might increase vaccine hesitancy. Otherwise, there'll be consequences. So um, are
0: you telling me, Dr. Goodwin, that you and your colleagues were not allowed to mention things such as myocarditis and pericarditis or, you know, these neurological issues that people seem to be experiencing after they've had this experimental jam? Well, this,
1: this is the question where it's been very murky as to what what can we and what can't we discuss? You know, on the one hand, we've got that original eight-page document saying, well, we, ask, we, we must discuss the risks, the benefits, the uncertainties. Then on the other hand, we were given this document uh, that tells us that we're to discuss the benefits. And if you have any anti-vaccination uh, messaging, then there'll be consequences. So doctors are in this sort of, well, what do I actually do? You know, And, and as I said, I had tried to get some clarity uh, from the College of DPs and the Medical Council and Ended up saying, "Well, you need to follow both." Well, how do you do? (laughs) How do you do that? (laughs)
0: So you're in a catch twenty-two.
1: Yeah. So that's right. So some doctors have taken this guidance to heart and have said, "Right, okay, I can't say anything against the vaccine. I better shut up and not say anything." Uh, Other doctors have felt, "Well, actually, I need to uphold my ethics and I need to discuss these other things," and have carried on. You know, either privately and, and just in individual patient consultations, or more publicly, like I have been trying to do, and just pointing out things. So. But yes, it's a real dilemma, and I mean, I don't know quite legally which which one actually has um, superiority. Anyway, that, that may come to be visible. Okay, so, so the next document I wanted to um, discuss is the risk management plan. Oh. So that, um, so the latest one that I could find was from January this year. I couldn't find a more recent one than that. So this is, uh, as, as far as I understand it, and I'm happy to be corrected if, um, if I'm not quite right, but as I understand it, it's a document from Pfizer uh, to Medsafe saying uh, the updated summary of risk management plan for community, uh, which is the Pfizer vaccine in New Zealand. So this, this document um, provides information from Pfizer saying, well, look, these are the things we don't know about yet. And this is what we're doing to mitigate any risks um, from that. Now, our document is seven pages long. I've seen ones from the European Union and other countries that are over 100 pages long. So um, I'm not quite sure why there's such a big difference in that. But anyway, th- this document dis- discusses um, the risks, the risks of the unknown information. So down here, I've got some missing information. Uh, So this is one of the things covered in this document. Missing information refers to information on the safety of the medicinal product that is currently missing and needs to be collected, e.g. on the long-term use of the medication. Um, And so then we go down to table one, and this is the list of important risks and missing information. So they've identified that anaphylaxis and myocarditis and pericarditis are identified risks, Uh, There's a potential risk of vaccine-associated enhanced disease, so that needs more study. And then there's missing information. And the first one there is use in pregnancy and while breastfeeding. Uh, It also has got use in immunocompromised patients, use in frail patients, those with autoimmune and inflammatory disorders, uh, etc. So missing information, use in pregnancy while breastfeeding. So that's table one. Then you go down to table five. Uh, and it tells you what they're doing about that. So the missing information, this is how we're gonna minimize the risks associated with the fact that we don't have much information. Uh, So risk minimization measures, they've put in the data sheet at section 4.6, advice for medical people. So that's the next document I'll show. Uh, And then additional pharmacovigilance activities are these studies. So these various studies that are ongoing. So they're not finished yet. They're still gathering the data. They cannot say that we've got all the data. Uh, And then you can go down further to the bottom of that uh, one and find out what the details of each study are, but I won't read through all of those. That's again, that's on the Medsafe website. Uh, It's called the Risk Management Plan. Uh, So, I mean, on the Medsafe website, missing information, the data in pregnancy. Now there is real world data and there's a whole lot of stuff floating around, uh, but you know, if it had been synthesized, it would be um, presumably put in this document and this document updated on a regular basis. So this is the New Zealand data sheet. So uh, for every medication that's available in New Zealand, uh, Medsafe put out a data sheet with all the information uh, that a prescribing doctor would want to know. If it's a medicine you're not familiar with, you'd want to go and look at this data sheet and um, just find out, you know, how what does it interact with? How does it get absorbed? How does it get excreted and metabolized? And, you know, is it safe in these situations? Do I need to worry about kidney function? Um, and that, so that's the MedSafe data sheet. It's the latest one that I could find. It seems to be September 2022. That's how I'm interpreting those numbers there. Uh, so there's been a variety of versions um, over the 18 months of the rollout. Um, but then it goes so down to section 4.6, uh, and that's about fertility, pregnancy, and lactation. And so this section, uh, I mean, I just looked at, at, uh, at the data sheet number one, the first one that I could find, Uh, And the wording is almost the same as when it was back in February um, 2021. But for pregnancy, you know, I guess that's the main topic of today, the pregnancy. There is limited experience with use of community in pregnant women. Animal studies do not indicate direct or indirect harmful effects with respect to pregnancy, embryo fetal development, parturition or postnatal development. So parturition is giving birth postnatals after it's born. Administration of community in pregnancy should only be considered when the potential benefits outweigh any potential risks for the mother and fetus. So to me, that implies that every pregnant woman needs a personalised individual risk-benefit assessment, and some will be more at risk from adverse outcomes if they caught COVID. Uh, Some will probably be fine if they caught COVID. I mean, women have been having births, having babies rather, giving birth. Um, since time began and we're still around as a species so obviously there's some protective mechanisms uh, that keep us alive and able to deliver our babies Um, and I mean you could argue that in 2021 when there was no or there was minimal circulating COVID infection that the risks of the vaccine outweighed um, any other risks at that time because pregnant women weren't getting exposed to um, COVID so but, yeah, I mean, that sentence to me is, implies that a, a personalised risk-benefit assessment should happen for every pregnant woman.
0: Um, yeah, and, and that, especially, you know, when we're saying, well, when 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 in the own documents that you've shown us, you could read that this whole thing is an experiment until, as you say, next year. So, um, but, but it's unethical to actually experiment on pregnant women full stop. So from the way I read it,
1: To me, this has been, you know, probably the most egregious and most disturbing part of this whole rollout um, has been not only allowing pregnant women to have this vaccine, but actually actively recommending it. And at any stage of pregnancy, I mean, that is a complete deviation from normal medical practice. Uh, You know, previously, when I had been working as a doctor, I would be cautioning women about using Panadol. Uh, I would be saying, you know, don't even use that unless you're, it's really, really necessary. And I certainly would never be um, suggesting that a pregnant woman take a brand new medication. I mean, we just need to look at thalidomide. Oh, yeah, women were told it was safe and effective, uh, and it wasn't until you know several years later. My understanding is that it was actually withdrawn. Um, I mean, look, I, to I me, mean, it was, it was like with smoking
0: as well. The doctors used to um, yeah. recommend smoking. <laughs> Yeah. And there was no issue with um, pregnant women even smoking, you know. And yes. now, of course, we know that um, that shouldn't happen. Um, but now, now, let everybody know as well about what the New Zealand Doctors Speaking Out of Science did with Nikki Turner. And when, um, was it TVNZ broadcast some of what she was saying? You you put in a broadcast. Oh, well, yes, we did
1: do a, a Broadcasting Standards Authority um, complaint about, I think it was October last year, a piece on I can't even remember which um, news station but a a piece it wasn't specifically about pregnancy it was about what's in the vaccine and and how safe it is so we you know we just got together and um, pointed out some of the science that we were looking at uh, and and also some of the ethical aspects of medical practice but I mean I guess a broad standard broadcasting person maybe isn't concerned about medical ethics Um, you know I just pointed out some of our concerns with what she'd and put in a complaint, but uh, apparently it was all upheld. The Broadcasting Standards Authority thought it was all um, above board and inappropriate what she'd said, and didn't have any issues. I don't I mean I can't specifically remember what was written.
0: Well, and of course, she she she's on our website. I mean, if
1: people want to read it. Yes, we'll put, we
0: says. will put we will put all these links up uh, so people can go and see it. And she she actually, you know, was was really pushing and advocating for pregnant women. To take this jab and there was a lot of advertising around it as well like just popping up on YouTube and yeah. you know it's it like you said it is very egregious and what we're seeing you know <laughs> of course in Scotland and the, the high rates well the, the, the yeah the spikes of um, neonatal deaths and the Scottish government actually now uh, doing an investigation into it what do you think should happen here in New Zealand do you think they should do oh, something the, similar? The Scottish government doesn't feel that they need to look at whether the vaccine's involved or not They've decided
1: that's not an issue. that's true. They're they're removing that. And I mean, the other thing about that Scottish one, uh, when I listened to John Campbell, is they've changed or, you know, they're fiddling with the definition of stillbirth, Um, you know, and and so some of the babies are showing some signs of life, but, you know, dying within one or two hours of birth are being classified as stillbirth. Um,
0: And And that, of course, um, has a problem for the coroner because then the coroner can't get involved if it's been classified as stillbirth. That's right. So there's a reason yeah, so, so what, I mean, do you know what's happening here in New Zealand? Because it's very hard to get the figures, isn't it, from the last uh, 18 months to two years.
1: Yeah, I mean, as you've probably heard, there is a lot of anecdotes about what's happening uh, in, in our hospitals and with our midwives. But, yes, I I mean, I don't have any definite numbers. And, I, you know, we've tried OIA requests, various people have tried OIA requests to get the actual numbers of um you know, how many live births, how many stillbirths, uh, you know, and I mean, what what are the definitions, again, of a stillbirth? You know, is that being tweaked here with regards to, you know, how far through a gestation? Uh, I mean, my understanding is that anything over 20 weeks or over 400 grams uh, would be a stillbirth. But, you know, so at the birth end of um, stillbirth, that's being tweaked in Scotland. But, you know, is the other end of stillbirth being being tweaked the younger ones are they sort of being cast as miscarriages or abortions or uh, you know uh, again it's impossible to know what's going on with the data and 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 I mean the numbers well like one hour OIA request I saw that you know the data was up to 2019 you know it was way behind so um, yeah it's very difficult to to get accurate data accurate figures Uh, I mean it would be very nice to actually look at at some of whatever data is being collected um but you know it's impossible to get hold of
0: and so what what's your advice uh, what would you say to people who are in the medical system especially uh around you know anyone dealing with uh, pregnant mothers and uh, that whole part of medicine you know who are seeing Anomalies, abnormalities. What do you suggest to them in regards to maybe becoming a whistleblower, actually speaking out about what they're seeing? Well,
1: I look. I mean, if people are, are seeing things that are out of the ordinary and abnormal, and and thing that practices being undertaken that aren't usual practice, then I, I mean, I well personally, I I would feel the need to speak up um, in order to prevent it happening for to happening to other people, um, but. I mean, and it, it, on the contrary, if nothing's happening, if all the births are, are normal and you've got normal numbers of babies being born, let's, let's hear it. Let's actually have the people saying, well, everything's all right. I mean, we, I mean I'd mean, i love everything to be all right. I'd absolutely love that to know that every baby that's uh, conceived gets to full gestation and is born healthy. Um, but that's, you know, the rumours going around don't support that. Um, but, you know, if, if you're someone in the hospital that's seeing that, then, then let's hear from you. Um, but equally if you're a midwife that's lost your whole patient load for a month that's very abnormal then you know please speak about it so that we can stop this happening to further mums
0: absolutely and you know while maybe here in New Zealand we don't have the data and and the science yet to back it up um, we certainly have um, information coming over from overseas and people really should check out dr thorpe's work because um you know he's a he's an OBGYN, he's working in that field and he is very very concerned and we do need more uh doctors as well to come and speak out here in new zealand so um dr Alison goodwin is there anything else that you would uh, like to add before we wrap this up
1: oh well yes i just wanted to make one uh comment following on from what calvin said in one of the previous Um, discussions he did he talked about having you know too much science almost he said you've got science over on this side telling me it's perfectly safe and all's well you've got science on this side saying oh no look you've got to be careful you've got to be cautious Um, you know and and sometimes it gets too much parents mothers don't know who to believe you know you're torn this way torn that way well what do I do Um, so sometimes you know and I mean you've got to appreciate that science in this day and age can be bought uh, so if you want to prove a particular point, you can fund science. It will show what you want to have shown. Um, and so you've got to look at who's funding the science and why are they funding it when you're assessing science. Um, but, you know, as, when you're muddled by too much science, what you've actually got to do personally, I think, is to take a step back and trust yourself. You actually have to ask yourself what feels right, what seems right, what sits right with me. Uh, I would call that a maternal instinct or an instinct or your intuition or your gut feelings. Uh, You know, if you're bombarded and overwhelmed by too much stuff from all angles, take a step back and somewhere inside you, the answer will be. Um, And maternal instinct, I think we've actually got to put a lot of trust and faith in that. It's got us humanity, well, it's got humanity to where we are. I don't know if that's a good place or a bad place at the moment, but um,
0: but well, yeah. I think what what we can say is that um, modern medicine, as we know, is a very new phenomenon. I.e., you know, it's not much older than a hundred years old, and like you say, women have been birthing since the dawn of time. So, um, I absolutely concur that. There is something to be said for um, mother's wisdom and, and the ancient wisdom uh, that has been passed down throughout from our ancestors. So um, thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Goodwin. If you want to go and follow her work and the work of all the other great doctors here in New Zealand, go to nzdsos.com. Um, they are also on Telegram. Of course, they are heavily censored, but um, oh, yes. it's really important that we go and get their work and find out what they're saying. And uh, we wish you all the best. Thank you so much for coming on.
1: Oh, thank you, Hannah.
0: That, very good thank you so anybody out there who thinks that doctors are not being silenced uh, you heard it from dr. Goodwin herself they most certainly are they are not allowed to say anything that goes against what the government is recommending despite of course their dedication to their Hippocratic oath and their um, willingness to keep to the ethics and do the right thing. So um, just congratulations to Dr. Goodwin and all the other doctors out there who, despite the pressure, despite the financial hardship, um, and despite the ridicule um, from having such an illustrious career and such a prestigious um, you know, role, that you know, you guys are standing up and doing the right thing. And um, we really, really appreciate that. And the next person we're bringing on is, of course, um, a midwifery whistleblower. And she is telling us information that we have not heard uh, here in New Zealand before. Um, we have not had such um, first hand testimony. And this is information that we really want to get out to encourage other whistleblowers to come forward because this information, as you'll hear, is also being silenced midwives are scared to speak out, they are actually scared to speak to one another, Um, you know, the home birthing midwives or the community midwives uh, versus the hospital midwives, there is, um, you know, a sort of rivalry or they're not really on the same page or even, you know, depending on their VAX positions, there is a bit of friction going on in the midwifery sisterhood. So this needs to be spoken about publicly and honestly and of course it's going to ruffle many feathers but, um, you know, as as we here at Counterspin feel like it's you know it's 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 really important to do the right thing this midwife uh, Sally has also had enough and she's standing up she's doing the right thing she's speaking out she is still working as a midwife so therefore she she is complying with the vaccination mandates so no one can say she's an anti-vaxxer she's just telling us what she's seeing at the coalface <laughs> We are now joined by a very brave woman, and she is going to remain anonymous for reasons that she will explain, and she's going to go by the name of Sally. Now, she is a midwife, so um, it's a real honor to have you, Sally, because uh, this is a topic that not many midwives or um, any experts um, and professionals in The pregnancy kind of health uh, birthing sector, I suppose, want to come out and talk about here in New Zealand. And of course, this is also to give people New Zealand context um, about your testimony, because obviously Dr. James Thorpe has spoken out and um, we've just heard from Dr. Alison Goodwin. So um, welcome to the show and thank you so much for coming on. Can you just give people a little bit more of an extensive background of not only your midwifery um, career, but also what you were doing before that?
2: Oh, um, hi Hannah, Um, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, Yeah, so I was always in a um, medical background, I don't really want to give too much away, but let's say it involved um, ambulances um, at one stage, um, resuscitating people, um, stuff like that. Um, I trained as a midwife, I finished um, years ago, um, and now I work as a rural um, LMC, so lead maternity carer. So our job is we get contacted um, by women, around about you know, five, six weeks of pregnancy. Um, we see them in clinic throughout their pregnancy. We help them birth their babies, um, either in hospital in primary units or at home. Um, and then we visit them at home for six weeks um, after the birth. Uh, we're autonomous practitioners. Um, we work under a, um, a scope of um, practice and um, we're very regulated. You know it's, it's very, very tightly regulated. We have to re qualify, we have to do you know a certain amount of professional hours, educational hours. Um, yeah, we prescribe. Um, and when uh, pregnancies, childbirth, whatever, um, whenever they deviate from normal, um, we will consult with an obstetrician, but otherwise, um, we're, we're pretty much you know, um, on our own. And, and in, in my opinion, we do a fantastic job.
0: You sure do. And um, you're certainly underpaid as well and undervalued, I think. So um, (laughs) why don't we start with um, why, why has it been so difficult for you to come forward and speak about what you're seeing? And why do you have to be anonymous? (laughs)
2: <laughs> um, so last year, um, we received um, an email from the Midwifery Council of New Zealand. Um, they're our governing body, so they keep us in line. And if there are any complaints um, via the HDC, um, any you know um, queries about the standard of our practice, um, they're the ones that you know regulate you know our practice to so make sure that we're practicing safely and, and according to you know the code. Um, we received an email saying. Um, that we were expected to disseminate information that um, complied with the Ministry of Health um, you know, information, i.e., uh, we should encourage a woman to get vaccinated, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but we were also told that we weren't allowed to share anything remotely anti-vax or anything that went against the Ministry of Health um, story. Um On social media, our social media is is monitored, Um, we're effectively gagged, and if we do anything like that, if our Facebook fact-checkers, for instance, um, find us, you know, posting any information that they don't agree with, um, we would be um, investigated by the Midwifery Council. our practice would be um, investigated, um, would be essentially audited. We would be perhaps placed under supervision. Um, and those who kind of don't toe the line um, would probably be struck off. So I can't... I, I, I can't afford to to lose the career that I love, yeah, and that maintains my family.
0: And so... Um... Maybe just for transparency, transparency's sake and disclosure, I mean, and well, I suppose anyone uh, who's thinking would know, but there were mandates for the um, midwives, weren't there? So you are all up to date with um, the expectation from the Ministry of Health?
2: Um, yeah, so the mandate came out on the 30th of October 21. That was our deadline. Um, and I... I'm not anti-vax but I'm anti the removal of of people's bodily autonomy Um, and so I found it really, really hard I was actually crying when I got my first vaccination because I felt like it went against everything that midwifery is supposed to stand for Um, and that is women's choice and control over their bodies and I would never, ever, ever in my practice tell a woman that she had to put something in her body I wouldn't inject her with anything without her express informed consent. And so that's why, you know, I, I was distraught about it. But again, I couldn't afford not to not to work.
0: So um, just maybe let's start with building on, yeah, what are the ethics around um, your relationship with pregnant mums? Um, you've said, you know, you would never, um, you know, expect a mother to put anything into her body that she didn't want to do i mean w- what are the no. expectations of midwives um you know in general uh even if you know mums are doing something that you believe maybe isn't very good for the baby let's say you know smoking or anything like that like how how yeah. w- what are the boundaries for midwives in that instance um
2: well we do a four-year degree okay and it's all about looking after women and respecting their culture their individual choices You know everything. Um, so our job is to provide um, information, you know, and, and choice. Um, we can educate women about, you know, um, diet, lifestyle, um, smoking, drug use, um, all kinds of things, domestic violence. We, we we deal with a lot of sort of social issues as part of our job, um, but we will never, ever, ever, as per the HGC Code of Consumer Rights, Um, force women to accept any procedure or treatment and and that is the core of midwifery, It is empowering women to make choices for their bodies and their babies
0: Absolutely, and so how has it been for you, I mean because there there have actually been other midwives in New Zealand who have spoken out against the vaccine right, like they have said uh, they have questions and there's actually been a lot of midwives that have left the industry Um, I mean, of course, there was already um, problems within the industry because of the lack of pay. But on top of that now, um, many didn't want to comply with the mandates. So they have exited uh, the industry. So what were midwives saying, you know, about that freedom of choice, especially around um, this COVID jab?
2: Well, let's just say I lost my midwifery partner because of it. She um, decided not to, you know, the vaccine and she's retired now um i've got a lot of friends who have left the industry um uh, one's working on a trawler one's in costa rica um one's driving a truck um (laughs) you know i've just um you know it's it's a real shame um i'm picking i think about um so there are about three thousand midwives in new zealand and i think about 300 left around about October, November, December 2021. I can't say that's because of the mandate because I don't know them all. Um, but I also think the additional work, um, you know, just working with COVID, you know, the PPE, um, yeah, it was a lot of work. We, we didn't get any, t- any time off. Um, say, you know, Plunkett um, stopped doing face to face visits, um, obstetricians started doing phone visits instead, but we, carry on as normal and as a result um, you know it was a lot of faffing around it was a lot of you know I I can't even describe how it changed our practice during the actual COVID so I don't know whether some of those quit because of that I'm not sure.
0: Yeah because um, you know I have talked to other midwives who have actually left uh, because of you know various reasons but one was saying that um, during lockdown especially in Auckland midwives weren't even allowed to go in to see their newborns and they would like leave care packages on the doorstep or just um, Mm -hmm. even just leave the equipment there for the mothers to weigh their own babies. So a lot of that um, personal care that is part of your job was just not available. And there were so Mm -hmm. many new mothers who were basically isolated and left alone with their babies. Um, And some midwives actually just couldn't bear it. So they would, they would just go in and help. Help their mothers and their babies?
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I I mean, I have to confess, I broke the rules. I mean, midwives, um, we don't do it for the money, we don't do it for the recognition, we do it because we love women. And when you're prevented from providing the care that you want to, that you need to provide, especially at such an intimate time, um, you know, I can see how some midwives would have quit because that's not what we get into it for, you know. Um, I look after predominantly minority whānau. Um, and their culture, you know, I mean, having a lot of support at the birth, you know, having the parents, the grandparents, the cousins, you know, that was the thing that got me during COVID was the restrictions on um, birthing partners and, um, and visitors. You know, it was it was just to me, it was just inhumane. Um, at one stage, when we were in level four, women, um, you know, were laboring by themselves. The husband could come in or partner or wife or whoever could come in. And you know, sit there while she had the baby, and then they would be kicked out two hours later. you know, And to me that was the hardest bit was just seeing these women going through one of the most pivotal moments of their lives um, alone.
0: And the other thing uh, I'd like you to just touch on as well is what was happening to women who were actually unjabbed uh, when they were going in to birth their babies in the hospitals, for example.
2: <laughs> um, well I can't really say because I don't go to the hospital very often I think I had one unjabbed woman she had to do a rat test um when she went in and, and that was cool but her husband wasn't allowed to go in and her mother wasn't allowed to go in so they actually slept in the car in the car park at the hospital while she was doing um yeah,
0: <laughs> because there there are the stories. Yeah, of of the woman just being taken into a completely different area, and yep. you know, being basically having everyone in full PPE gear. They're basically in full yep. PPE gear, and it's just so sterile oh. and just so just no warmth and no care in such oh. a special yeah. moment.
2: So, in in our local hospital, we had sort of a sectioned off area, and it had these yellow and black diagonal lines across the floor, um, and then a big pile of PPE outside the room. Um, I have to confess, I never bothered with that. You know, I'd been with this woman and her whānau for seven, eight, nine months by then. Um, But yeah, I mean, if if anyone else came into the room, it it honestly looked like something out of the scene from E.T., you know, when they... um, we are be wearing those radioactive, yeah. I mean, it's, it's really not um, an environment that promotes um, natural birth, put it that
0: way. Yeah. Yeah, and so um, is there anything else you want to add about just yeah the general um, pressures you guys have had under COVID and the, and the general experience before we actually move into the real um, detail yeah. of what you're actually seeing now that the jabs have been fully rolled out?
2: Well, uh, from my point of view, it's been very divisive um, amongst the midwifery community. You know, there are midwives who are quite um, uh, hospital orientated and they've, you know, you, you see things on social media all the time. And, and so it kind of almost turned into an us and them situation, which I find really sad because, you know, we are supposed to be a sisterhood and a community. So... Um, that's what I bought during COVID was that it was very divisive. You know, people were arguing, midwives were arguing about this, that and every other thing. And I just found it sad, you know, I just found it really sad that a bunch of women who are up against it anyway um, were fighting amongst themselves about, you know, I hold clinic, I get the woman to wait in the car park, I sterilise my scales, I don't do blood pressure because I don't want to touch her, you know, I mean, some of the practices, um, yeah, to me, yeah, I mean, I, I understand the, the the concept of self-preservation. Um, but to be honest, when I heard about COVID, when it first came out, um, I've just never, uh, I don't know, maybe it's my upbringing, I just never had the fear that everyone else had. I, I just thought, oh, well, it's a, it's a cold, um, I'll get it, everyone will get it, too bad, whatever. Um, and, and uh, you know, you get a lot of fact for that. I'd never, ever, ever tell anyone that this is you know so private i only talk to my family about this um because if i did publicly especially in a midwifery forum um i would get absolutely flayed yeah you know? so that, that it was really sad you know um friends were falling out um partnerships were breaking up over their different covid beliefs and the you know different ways of practicing during covid and and, and that sucked
0: yeah, that that's that is heartbreaking because I know what it felt like um, being treated like a leper. You know, just walking into shops, um, and yeah. you know the fear that people had. I I cannot imagine what it would be like to be a pregnant mother, a first time mother, um, going through this experience. You know, having to go through all those um, appointments and all the scans and and everything, um, and being treated like like a le- leper or just you know having all this fear around it there's enough anxiety around birth as it is without all this on top of it
2: well you know I went to a scan this morning with a family member and um speaking of scans you know during COVID you weren't allowed a support person in um a lot of sonographer offices um you know and I know it's fun going for a scan but sometimes you don't get the news that you want you know so That's another thing is that you know when you walk in um to have a scan on your baby for you know and, and you're alone and you get news that isn't necessarily good, um that's the other thing, you know, that there's
0: no humanity in it. Yeah, absolutely heartbreaking. So um you've obviously been probably hearing a lot about what's happening overseas and you know what doctors are saying overseas and the the increase in um you know, babies, neonatal um, deaths. Uh, this yeah. is what we really want to talk with you about because yeah. there's nobody in New Zealand that is speaking about this. And obviously yeah. the data that the government usually records has not been released um, about, you yeah. know, baby deaths for... for. A, for, I, I, was a for it. I was looking for it in, um,
2: in preparation for this meeting and I, I, I cannot find anything...
0: No. Yeah, so Dr. Allison has basically said that it's the, the latest da- or you know, the last time it was recorded was back in 2019. There's a huge lag yep. on release of the 2020 and 2021 data. So um mm-hmm. hey why not let's put a call out to anybody in statistics or in the medical field that wants to be a whistleblower and you've got some of that data, why not send it to us, info at counterspinmedia.com and we will um, get our experts to take a look at that and, and release it because people deserve to know. So this is why we are speaking with Sally today because we don't have the data, but we need to start this conversation going. It is um, Sally's personal experience as a midwife uh, that does have weight behind it because it's it's her personal firsthand experience uh, witness testimony as to what she's seeing, and and we need other midwives to come and speak out and tell us what they're seeing as well, so we can get a really broad picture of just um what's been happening here in New Zealand in the last eighteen months. So, Sally, where where would you like to start in terms of abnormalities, um, unusual occurrences, um, you know, babies, you know, miscarriages, stillbirths, and 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 definition changes as well.
2: Okay, so um, you might want to get ready because I've got a bit of a list. Excellent Um, So in my early years of um, Practising as a midwife It was common for me to um, Experience um, Maybe One miscarriage every two months And they're normally around about nine a week So a woman goes through a 12 week scan And the sonographer says Unfortunately there's no heartbeat And I would um, contact her The sonographer would call me I'd contact her I'd go around with a bunch of flowers you know, it was, it was a big deal. <laughs> um, since July, August last year, um, let's just say I've had two miscarriages this week, one on Sunday, one yesterday. Um, I would say in the past year, maybe 37 miscarriages. Wow. Um, and I'm not talking the normal nine-week miscarriage. I'm talking... Um, all gestations, um, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 22, 24 weeks, that's technically a stillbirth.
0: So, so up until 20 weeks, correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. um, it's a miscarriage and from 20 weeks onwards, it's considered a stillbirth.
2: Um, if it's under 20 weeks in ways, it, it, it's either over 20 weeks or weighing over 400 grams, that is still birth, in which case the birth and the death need to be registered. Um, If it's not over 400 grams and if it's not over 20 weeks, then it's classified as a miscarriage.
0: Okay, so you've gone from one miscarriage, which is, so that's under 20 weeks, um, say one every two months. Um, So that's uh, six a year, to um 37 in the last 12
2: 37 just from although i spent about three hours last night going through my tips from all my you know women over the last year or so and i came up with 37 yep
0: wow that that is just it's huge so i mean when there's did you start when did you start seeing this and when did you start when did you start thinking okay there's something going on here
2: um, well, let's just say I lost my entire February caseload in about July, August. So my February caseload for 2021, they um, t- 2022, they all miscarried um, around about July, August. Wow. So I got left with no women and I thought, wow. And then um, I just um, keep coming, you know, and I'm not talking normal miscarriages, I'm not talking at a normal gestation, I'm talking, you know, early, late, heavy bleeding, weird, really strange miscarriages.
0: Yeah. Okay, so when, when they're quite late in the pregnancy and there's a lot of bleeding, I mean, are they naturally miscarrying or do they need to go to the hospital or what, what is the actual process for a woman that goes through this?
2: It depends about, um, it depends on the amount of bleeding. Um, and the amount of pain um, and the gestation. So, for instance, um, I had a 16-weeker. So you're talking a baby about the size of a Barbie doll, um, fully formed, um, but because she's under 20 weeks, she has to go to an emergency department and then the gynaecological ward at hospital um, and deliver her baby, I mean, <laughs> her fetus, um, without, just with nurses. Um, I had one that texted me um, and said, I'm bleeding, and I called her, and I said, where are you? She goes, on the toilet, and I heard this noise, and I said, are you peeing? And she goes, no, that's blood. Um, It was like I could hear it just whooshing you know, and I just called an ambulance straight away. She lost a liter and a half of blood. That is unheard of. Like, I mean, yeah, this many, you know, in a row with abnormal bleeding at, at, at random gestations, it's just so odd.
0: And so, um, you know, when you're hitting, um, yeah, like, say, some of them, I think what you told me was 24, 25 weeks. Yeah. Um, what, what happens at that point?
2: They go to the hospital and have, um, it depends whether they've gone into labour naturally or whether, um, you know, whether it's what you call a retained, you know, like a, a missed miscarriage. Or... So they go to the hospital. Um, if they haven't gone into labour, then they normally get a dose of, um, you know, drugs to shut down their pregnancy hormones and then another set of drugs to stop them contracting and, and they give birth vaginally.
0: Do you, do you go in with them at that point, or are they are they in the hospital system, and that's kind of not your department?
2: Most of the time, I do. Yeah,
0: that must yeah. be quite difficult.
2: Um, yeah, it's really difficult. It's um, yeah, no, it's 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 really sad. It's really sad. It really is. But I mean, if you 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 know, you kind of have to have a bit of a um, bit of a thick skin. Otherwise, you know.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you have to have in some ways some professional distance. And so and what about um what are you seeing, you know, with with babies that, you know, are are you seeing a lot of um premature births that are still making it or you know, and or even just births that do reach full term? What are you what are you seeing there?
2: So the thing I, I just had a um phone call with my partner and we were, you know, um Swapping notes because we've had a lot of really interesting cases um together this year. Um and I just wanted to run it by her to make sure that um she agreed with this information and she added a little bit more information herself. So what we came up with was um firstly because of the rate of miscarriages, we met um my partner and I, and we've decided that we weren't going to book women before 10 weeks of pregnancy. Um and that is solely because We've had so many miscarriages that um, we want to make sure as, as much as we can that the baby's actually viable, because we've been t- doing so much um, miscarriage care. Um, you know, and it's really sad. You know it's, it's so sad, but we have that's what we've decided to do, you know. Um, the other thing is that um, police centers have been really abnormal. Um, we've had some strange placentas. And as you know, the placenta is a life force for the baby. It's what transfers, you know, blood nutrients, glucose to the baby from the mum. And if that placenta isn't set up properly, um, and if it doesn't function well throughout the pregnancy, then, you know, you can't have a viable or healthy baby. Um, I've been taking photos of placentas lately because there've been a lot of um, velamentous placentas. So what does that mean? So a velamentous placenta is at normal um, cord insertion. So it's not inserting through the centre of the placenta <laughs> like it should. It's going through the membranes and the blood vessels are kind of hanging there, exposed. They're not protected by the jelly that protects, you know, the umbilical cord. Um, so they're very precarious. Um, we've found a lot of those. They're, they're Abnormal cord insertions is what we call it. The other thing that we've found is circumvallate placentas. Um, they have a gritty, lifted up, folded back ring around the edge of the entire placenta, which compromises blood flow, of course. Um, and it also leads a lot of the time to the placenta not coming away from the uterine wall cleanly um, at birth or after birth. Um, a lot of calcification in placentas, um, unexplained calcification. You can expect a certain degree of calcification in placentas if a woman is a smoker or a vapor, or, you know, uh, on some kind of medication or drugs that may cause calcification. But we're finding really gritty placentas with massive lumps of chalk in them, essentially. Um, and the saddest and hardest thing to deal with is, um, and I've I've read this in you know my local midwifery Facebook group is the, the number of abruptions, placental abruptions. Um, you know, you hardly hear about a placental abruption happening. You know, that's when the placenta comes away from the wall of uterus, um, effectively starving the baby of oh, oxygen. No. Um, that has been happening. Partial abruptions and full abruptions. I've just heard so many stories lately about the placenta just coming away. Um, And unfortunately, um, you know, my partner and I experienced that. And, um, you know, the woman unfortunately lost her baby. Um, And then, yeah, she got pregnant again and she just lost her baby again at 18 weeks. Um, A lot of heavy bleeding, really weird heavy bleeding. Um, I'm talking clumps, I'm talking all kinds of weird stuff. And I think that's related to the um, abruption, partial abruption. It's like placentas aren't being set up properly. And yeah, they just seem to be coming away in bits and pieces. They're coming out upside down, they're coming out folded, um, and they're coming out with a lot of um, clotted blood behind them. Um, and also growth issues, um, SGA and IUGR, which is um, small for gestational age and, and intrauterine growth restriction. Um, a lot of the babies that just aren't getting enough nutrients during um, pregnancy. And uh, I had one woman recently who spent seven weeks in hospital um, and delivered a baby at, well, I think, um, it was 1,500 grams. Um, yeah, so... Oh no. The other thing that's been happening is that um when you send a woman for um so normally unless there's an indication for a dating scan, um i.e. to find out when a woman's due, um, we try and kind of leave things alone, but we are sending all our women for dating scans now because for some reason the dating from the LMP or last menstrual period doesn't seem to be adding up to what Um, is showing up on a dating scan. So for instance, I would have a woman who, from her last menstrual period date, would be six weeks, seven weeks. I'd send her for a scan expecting to find a heartbeat. Um, And then the sonographer would say, oh, no, it's only four weeks and there's only a yolk sac, there's no fetus yet. Um, It's so common. So all of my women have been going for a dating scan if they need one, and then having to go back two or three weeks later because for some reason um, there's no baby. It's just a yolk sac. Um, some of them are viable pregnancies, some aren't.
0: So, okay, prior to, um, you know, 18 months ago, two years ago, three years ago, is that something that you would see, like, occasionally, never, regularly?
2: Um. So what, what part of that? Um, the so percentage, like, the,
0: like just the egg sac, sorry. Yeah, just specifically what you're talking right, about now, yeah. like having a sac but with yep. no baby, uh, obviously yeah. there.
2: Yeah. Um, oh, maybe once every three months or something, I suppose. You'd send a woman for a dating scan based on her last menstrual period and, you know, and they're like, oh, you're a couple of weeks out, sweet um, as. Right, yeah. But this is happening all the time. So... Yeah, I'm convinced that there's something um, to do with placentation and implantation and the vascularity. I I think something's happening with blood supply um, that's affecting the placentas and affecting the growth of babies. And And, then at birth. Sorry, yeah, carry on. Yeah. And what do
0: you mean? So at birth, that's happening too. What do you mean by that?
2: um, I just mean that we've had really weird patterns of abnormal bleeding. Massive, massive um, retroplacental clots, like I'm talking 500 mils behind the placenta, um, with healthy, well-women with well-grown babies. You know, Um, you don't expect to um, catch a placenta um, that often and find that much blood um, encapsulated in it. And so,
0: when you say clots, what like we've heard these words, you know, in regards to, um, you know, the embalmers and the funeral directors. When you say clot, what what does that mean to you with birthing? How does it look? Um,
2: What it means to me is that there's um, something happening with the establishment of the blood supply between the mum and the placenta, and the placenta isn't coming away cleanly, and she's bleeding behind the placenta. OK, um, you Um when a woman gives birth, you normally get what, what's called a separation bleed. OK, and that could be 150, 200 mils, whatever. So you get that and you expect the placenta to come away cleanly, you know, and easily. But um, we've had some really weird placentas that have been still partially attached with a lot of blood behind them. You know, so we've had um retained placentas that we've had to manually remove, and then behind that, you get half an ice cream container full of blood. You know, so mm. I'm convinced it's it's all about placentation and and the setup of the um you know the, the blood vessels supplying the placenta and the baby. Mm.
0: And so, in our preliminary discussions as well, you were talking about how. You know the placenta typically might fill one ice cream container, but I mm-hmm. guess what you're saying now, and you've you've explained it with all this the blood clotting, you're saying that maybe yeah. sometimes you might get two ice cream containers full.
2: Yeah, um, so people might think that a large placenta is healthy, but it's actually a lot of the time the opposite. You find with some um, women with preplancerera, For instance, um, and and preclampsia is an issue with placentation and the setup of blood supply to the baby. Their placentas actually get larger and larger and larger because they're trying to compensate for the lack of blood supply. So they actually, you can expect quite a large placenta for a woman, um, you know, with compromised vascularity. So we've been seeing some pretty big, calcified, abnormally attached placentas
0: okay that's yeah that and 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 so this is what you're seeing you're obviously spe- speaking to your uh, midwifery partner have you been speaking you know openly to other midwives other colleagues are, are you able to have these discussions are you guys all seeing the same thing yes and um, I mean, is it kind of something that you speak about in hushed tones, like it's not kind of an open discussion, or are, are, are midwives actually openly discussing this t- together?
2: Um, you know, we might go for a coffee and we'll discuss it, but um, there would never be any public posting, or uh, no, we would never because, again, you know, we'd we'd get you know labeled and then probably disciplined and or struck off. So. Yeah, in small groups. Absolutely. But yeah.
0: yeah. And what about with um what about with your babies that are born? Because there are some interesting stories just that we're hearing um, you know, of babies really struggling to to feed properly, you know, vomiting yeah. a lot. Um what is the health of the babies that are actually being born? Have you noticed any difference there?
2: Um no, to be completely honest, I haven't. Um, not in my, not not in my caseload.
0: Um, no. And what about so babies? So 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 in in um, Scotland, they're actually still classifying a baby after it's been born and it's still breathing. Um, you know, they're, they're they're still classifying it as a stillbirth if it passes away. You know, once it's been born. Uh, whereas oh. usually, if if a baby as soon as they're born and they're breathing, that's a live birth. Um, They literally would have to be considered to be dead, um, basically on arrival to be considered a stillbirth, but they're changing their definitions. And and over there, the coroner actually, if the baby is considered a stillbirth, the coroner has no jurisdiction over investigating that baby's Mm -hmm. um, death. So... Yep. Uh, do you can you expand a bit more or do we have any knowledge about what's happening here in New Zealand in regards to that
2: um no I don't because um, we work transparently we work in, in, in um, rural areas where we, we we kind of tend to stay at the hospital um and in my experience it's in the hospital where those things happen um my local hospital has a book, that records, um, you know, stillbirths and IUDs. um, Now, what's an IUD
0: for people who don't know?
2: Intrauterine demise. So, you know, a woman might, and this has happened probably three times in the last month among my colleagues, and that would be four of us, that a woman turns up to clinic at MEG station. One was 33 weeks, one was 35 weeks, and one was 36 weeks, um, and there was just no heartbeat. So that's an intrauterine demise there's yeah there's no yeah so <laughs> yeah it's 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 been hard, you know um, it, it gets to the point where you're you're nervous. I, I'm nervous practicing now because um, you know you're trained and you know what risk factors are and you know you know you know the steps to take, but it seems like lately, there's no explanation. And so, you know, therefore, there's no avoidance.
0: You know what I mean? Yeah. Now, uh, yeah, because, I mean, you don't really know what you're going to get now. And if you're having such increased abnormalities and um, stillbirth miscarriages, um, you know, it's, yeah, it would make you nervous. So is there anything else?
2: Well, I asked the um, sonographer, he's a friend of mine, you know, last time I was in there, and I said, you know, have you noticed any any change? Any, you know, because I was thinking, he examines cord insertions, he examines placentas, you know, via um, ultrasound all the time, and he just absolutely shut me down and turned his back on me. Like, he just went, no, like that, and, um, and, that, and that's what you're up against. Like, you're almost too scared to approach the topic because, yeah.
0: Wow, yeah. Stenographers actually... Uh, would be very, very good to speak to because they would... Exactly. Yep. It's all there, black and white, in front of them. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, And what about, you know, the doctors, the obstetricians, the gynecologists? I mean, have you had any conversations with anyone like that about what they're saying?
2: Yeah, there's one um, obstetrician who I've known for a long, long time, and he's an absolute legend. And, yeah, he frequently appears on Telegram on one of the pages I'm on, and speaks. Um, he's amazing. So, yes. The other ones I'm too scared to approach because I don't want to be labelled as. Yeah, it's 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 kind of like this underground sort of. It's horrible. It's like you feel like a leper. Like you're too scared to. You know, say anything. Um, yeah. Um, I will say that. Um, so I get approached um all the time um by non-vaccinated women. I must have developed a little bit of a, um, a reputation for caring because a lot of midwives um turn away unvaccinated women. Um so they come to me um and they they state that they're unvaccinated and, and they're really ashamed. And I'll have to say that in the last year, um only two of those unvaccinated women have miscarried and they
0: both had a history of miscarriage. Interesting. And yeah, because because you know what I find fascinating, like where are the feminists in this country uh, <laughs> standing up for the rights of women to have healthy babies? And mm-hmm. with the information that's coming in from overseas, with what you're telling us and with hopefully what more um, people tell us in this, uh, in this industry, you know, this is a feminist issue because it's, it's my body, my choice, is it not?
2: Yep, and that's what us midwives are educated for four years to uphold. And I can't believe that we're separated over this issue because it's it's at the core of midwifery. And it's also in the, at the core of healthcare in New Zealand. You know, the HDC Code of Consumer Rights is actually law, you know, and that trumps any protocol at hospital. You know, um, it just makes me sick. It, it absolutely does.
0: So what's, what, what's specific about that law? That Why do you bring that up?
2: Um, well, it's a big thing for me. Um, you know, I'm a feminist and I, I was raised to respect people's choices, you know, and I was trained to educate people and let them make their own choices and support them in that. Um, you know, the right to decline treatment is is one of them, the right to respect um, it's, it's the foundation of New Zealand and I feel like we have you know, the way that I've seen some um, unvaccinated women treated um, contravenes three or four of those laws you know, um, you know. yeah and,
0: and so just, just before we wrap up, I've got, I've got another question. What do, what do um, women like say, you know, you, you're obviously getting these unjabbed uh, women um, who need midwives, but what if they personally for their own safety, because, you know, there are certain things like shedding and uh, things like that. What if they want an unvaccinated midwife because they feel that their baby is safer around an unvaccinated midwife? What do those women do?
2: Well, um, they could find an unvaccinated midwife but she would be unregistered and she would be practising illegally. So she would not have access to um, drugs. She would not have access to a hospital um, in case anything went awry Um, and she would be facing prosecution for practising. So, you know... They can't access one, and it's all very well dropping the mandates for healthcare workers. But the Ministry of Health has the final say, so um, you know, there was this big um, you know, wahoo about the mandates being dropped. But then all of the DHBs or Health New Zealand um, the branches have decided to uphold the mandates, so um, those unvaccinated midwives can't work anyway, they can possibly do home births. Um, but they wouldn't be accepted into any birthing centres that that are connected with um, Health New Zealand and they wouldn't be accepted into hospitals.
0: So there are actually basically women and babies at risk now because they cannot access unvaccinated midwives and they may be having babies on their own uh, because they don't...
2: Oh my God, they're free birthing all over the place. They are. You know and and that's the thing that's a lot of the reason why i chose reluctantly to do the jab is that my caseload is rural um probably about 70 percent maori and i know for a fact that they would not go to hospital and if i wasn't there there would be free birthing so you know i mean free birthings all well and good but you know, there, there are risks. And, but these midwives aren't even allowed to attend. They aren't even allowed to be doulas.
0: Yeah. And so dou- doulas are kind of like support people during pregnancy, aren't they? They don't have the same yeah, so legal rights as a midwife.
2: No, no, no. So they're not um, qualified to prescribe. They're not qualified to make any clinical decisions. They, they just support people. It's like hiring a professional, I don't know, mum to be with you at a birth. And they're amazing. You know, but I've found that they have been increasingly pressured to step outside of their scope because there's such short of um, shortage of midwives. I know personally um, that uh, secretly, doulas have been performing births um, because of the scarcity of midwives, um, which is. You know, it's better that they're there than no one, but, you know, they, they can't carry drugs, they can't carry resuscitation equipment, you know, you know they, they can't, yeah, so. Mm.
0: All right, so just before we wrap up, is there anything else that you want to add or any other, um, you know, anecdotal stories that you're hearing out there that we need to just bring to the table just to start the discussion?
2: Um, well, a midwife I spoke to recently who lived overseas Um, was also, you know, we just met and had a coffee, we hooked up over Messenger, and she was telling me exactly the same thing was happening um, in her country, and we sat there for about three hours, swapping stories, horror stories, really, um, about the unexpected and illogical things that we'd experienced in the last year and a half. And so... Yeah, I mean, it was cool bonding, but it was really sad to think that this was taking place all over the world.
0: So she's seeing the same thing as you with the excess bleeding, the clotting, the cords being attached in the wrong place, the placentas detaching, um, the increased stillbirth, all of that.
2: The miscarriage rate is, yeah, that's the thing. You know, you you book, um, so I normally book three or four women a month, and lately I've been booking six, knowing that at least two will miscarry.
0: Oh, it's absolutely heartbreaking. Well, um, you know, we really appreciate you coming on and starting this conversation because um, this is a real epidemic that's happening around the world and it has been labeled mm-hmm. the great baby die off. Um, yep. So, you know, I mean, maybe you just want to finish off with ultimately why you have chosen to do this, given that, you know, your whole career is at risk, your livelihoods at risk. Um, you know, if you were to put your name out there, they'd shut you down and you could lose, you know, your house, everything. Why, why have you done this?
2: Um, because I love women and I've held too many dead
0: babies in my arms. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much, Sally. Uh, very brave. We really appreciate you coming on. And hopefully you have started something, you know, planted a seed in somebody else's mind um, to, to start this um, investigation because really, we need a independent inquiry into what is happening with these miscarriages. Why are so many babies dying? Why are so many babies not reaching full term? Why mm-hmm. are um, the placentas not developing in a healthy way? Why is the excess bleeding? Uh, these yep. questions need to be answered. We need studies done on this and we need, we need the raw, hard data. As much as it's going to hurt and it's going to be really difficult to look at, uh, we need to do that. So thank you so much, Sally. We really appreciate you coming on. Now I'm just pulling this figure out of thin air, but there may have been I think 26 studies um, pu- um that are going to be commissioned um into COVID related things, and I think only one or two of them are actually going to be looking at the um effects of this jab. So, um, yep. mm-hmm. we need more yeah independent studies like you say. So let's see if um maybe there's yeah some philanthropists out there that want to fund an independent study um and Sally I'm sure you wouldn't mind um putting forward what you're seeing and hopefully we can get a whole bunch of midwives to come forward and actually share what's going on because this is just this is a real crisis and um you are the canary in the coal mine Sally ringing the (laughs) alarm bells
2: (laughs) thanks I'm squawking
0: (laughs) yeah so thank you for squawking (laughs) And um hopefully (laughs) others will squawk with you. So appreciate your time and um yeah, let's just get some more whistleblowers coming out. Let's get some um, doctors in this field to come forward. You can all come forward anonymously like Sally. You don't have to put your name to anything um at this point. You know, it's just important to start this conversation. Please get in touch. Info at counterspinmedia.com and um yeah, let's let's really have these hard conversations. It's not easy, but it has to be done. Well, I found that really personally um, difficult to listen to that information. And it's really important that more of you come forward um, and tell the story. It's not easy, but uh, we're very grateful for Dr. Alison Goodwin and for Sally um, coming on the show today and telling us about what's been going on. Um, So all of you out there, please share this far and wide. You could actually be saving lives. So at this point, people, uh, think twice about getting any more COVID vaccinations, jabs. Uh, it's really looking like it's not good stuff. And let's push for an independent inquiry into what's happening to the baby die off. And uh, let's see what the extent of it really is here in New Zealand. So if you like this information that we brought to you today, as I said, please share it. Please go and check out our Telegram page. Uh, we're also on getter and we're hanging on on facebook and uh, we are heavily shadow banned um of course rumble band.video um and a shout out to alex jones and all the crew over there they're obviously experiencing their own difficulties censorship around the world is rife and uh, we will not be silenced we will not um be quiet and we will go down and we will keep telling the truth so get onto our page camispinmedia.com as well and send us a donation. If you enjoy independent media, uh, you guys are going to have to get behind us because without you, uh, we can't do this. We don't have uh, taxpayer funding. We don't have access to um, the investigative journalist fund uh, because you know we're not accredited. They don't like what we say. Uh, they don't want to fund the truth getting out. They just want to keep funding propaganda. So if you like our real uh, cutting edge style, we know that we're the tip of the spear. We will say what other... People dare not say, Uh, and we know that we're actually uh, many of you have us as your dirty little secret, actually. So please uh, keep watching, keep sharing, and thank you for tuning in today. We appreciate your support, and we look forward to having Calvin back and uh, bringing you some more hard-hitting facts and evidence. You can find Counterspin, New Zealand's media revolution, at counterspinmedia.com. And now, on the Infowars Network at band.video